Everything is hard every single day. (laughs) Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast with Amy and Steph. I'm Amy. And I'm Steph. try to make cancer for breakfast safe and comfortable for everyone, it may not be suitable for all audiences and is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors. We didn't even go to podcasting school. <laughs> Amy Dials. Stephanie Lejeunesse. Hi. Hi. It's your podcast. It's your podcast, Cancer for Breakfast. Hi, listeners. It's your podcast. Yeah, it's all of our podcast. We are one. <laughs> um, so I want to tell you something, can I? Mm-hmm. That happened to me yesterday? Absolutely, you can. Okay. So I told you that I don't think I've said it on the podcast, but I'm taking a chunk of time to kind of give my self some space from all of my fingers and so many cancer pots yeah um now that I am like a few years out from active treatment and I'm like involved in therapy (laughs) I'm realizing (laughs) like it's kind of hard for me to like have the distance I feel like I need just to be able to think about other stuff and do other stuff um when I'm like so involved yeah. Which is hilarious to say on my cancer podcast. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> um, I'm not going anywhere. The podcast is staying, but I'm just kind of trying to step back from being involved in so many support groups in a like facilitator role. And I'm, you know, I'm planning the locations. I'm letting people know. I'm talking to new members. I'm bringing people, you know, and I'm, yeah, I'm sort of realizing like I don't have to be that person or I could maybe not be that person for three months while I have a little breather. Absolutely. While you um, move into like fully into your survivorship phase. Trying to. Yeah. Yeah. Just to see like how it could feel because I just feel like it's just been everywhere and I realize what a true uh gift that is that I even can contemplate trying to give myself a little bit of space from cancer right now you know um but I also mention it because I know how many of our listeners are done with active treatment and are kind of trying to reemerge into the world yeah absolutely whatever we are (laughs) anyway so I got all this stuff in place um You know, got some other folks to facilitate, canceled a bunch of appointments that were at the cancer center that were non-necessary, you know. Um, Yeah. Obviously, I still go get my shot every month and will do that. But uh, anyway, so I had like, it was like almost like the beginning of the new semester for me where (laughs) it was like everything was off my plate. I had a full day like with nothing going on. I went to yoga. And had a private yoga session. There just happened to be nobody else there. And it just happened to be that this like lovely teacher just went and like, oh, it's your back spot. Like here, like did the whole thing on my back. I know it was very posh and lovely. But I was like still kind of during the yoga thinking cancery thoughts, even though I was like, today's my day. 
today's the first day of the rest of my life. <laughs> um, and then I went, um, don't hate me, but I had been given a massage gift certificate from Kevin for Christmas. And so I was like, I'm using that today. I went to my favorite, um, little place, got a massage. It was so wonderful. Yeah. Still during the massage, different thoughts were funneling in and out of my brain, which, you know, it was fine. It was just like, this is my life. This is how I am. I don't expect to be a free bird right now, but <laughs> yeah, this is where like the shit started to hit the fan is like, after I leave these two wonderful, relaxing, um, experiences, I get in my car. I'm just like driving around to run a few errands, doing whatever. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm telling myself, okay, I'm going to actively not let cancer thoughts come in. I'm listening to the news on the radio. I'm thinking about this other stuff going on or things I'm doing later or something that's going on with a friend of mine. You know, like I'm filling yeah. my brain with brain stuff, you know? <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. And like, I swear in the loudest way, louder than I could have imagined cancer thoughts were just flying through my brain one after the other I would reset I would be like oh my god stop stop and then I would like yeah you know turn on the news or something and start listening and within two minutes I was completely sidetracked the news was still on not listening and I was on this other thought not that they were all panic not that they were all like me worrying but just that dialogue nonstop of reminders of things or things yeah. I need to do or a person I know or something that somebody said to me once or something said in a doctor, you know, like, yeah. but I could not shut it off. And I was like, I'm either having like a breakdown right now or like a breakthrough and like the breakthrough is realizing Ooh, this. Like that. Do you know yeah. what I mean though? Like being like, I totally know because before it felt like, of course I'm thinking about this. I've got yeah, that this, was I this appointment. Of course I'm thinking about this. It's only been eight months since my, you know, like it's like, yeah. You know? Yeah. So we're talking intrusive thoughts, right? I mean, totally. I actually was Googling it because, because I was like, what the hell is this? There's got to be a term and it's, yeah, sure. Part of it is like PTSD stuff, but like. I was, I was like Googling. I was like, so this feels like obsessive too. So I'm like obsessive. And then I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And it, it's a disorder. And is it compulsive? And I'm like obsessive compulsive disorder. And I was like, it's not that though. Like looking at all the yeah. symptoms, I'm like, it's, I'm, it's not obsessive compulsive disorder, but intrusive thoughts. Yes. Yeah. It's absolutely intrusive thoughts. And I think it's hard maybe to identify that because like you said, when the thoughts were previously like your baseline, they weren't mm -hmm. intrusive. The good thoughts would have been the intrusive thoughts. Um, and so when you make that switch, it's like, oh, shit, you know, I can't turn it off. Mm -hmm. I think that's true for so many people in the cancer world. Like whether you're out of active treatment or not, I think it's really right. hard to turn off that that inner voice that's just constant. It's like a news ticker, right? You know? Yeah. Just, yeah. And it's obviously not like I was like, tomorrow I'm done with cancer. That's my day. It's not like I hadn't done this footwork with this plan in mind of like all this stuff I was doing to kind of put a foot forward. But, you know, it sounds like it was like I woke up and was like, 
don't think about cancer. That's not what happened. But it it was just so surprising to me how hard it was to just let myself have just a little bit of space, you know? Yeah. Just a absolutely. tiny, tiny bit, a few hours, you know? I think it's so great that you're stepping away a little bit. Um, you're like subletting your place in the cancer world <laughs> for a while. Um, I love because that. You do need a reset. You know, you need to be able to come back with fresh eyes, I think, and see that all of those people's experiences are not yours. You don't need to be so heavily invested because right now you are. You're so, so, so invested in the cancer world. And that's great. And it's been such a gift. But um, I think that it can be even more beneficial if you aren't just constantly absorbed absorbed by it you know mm -hmm. yeah I think like if I can figure it out a little bit then I can come back even like on the podcast like I think that what I can offer might be a little bit more like well-rounded or like have yeah. a better I think you're frozen oh am I frozen oh, there you are Whew. <laughs> I just thought it was an awkward pause. <laughs> well, yeah, because I think that, you know, the vast majority of cancer people have this experience. The majority mm -hmm. of cancer people get better. And so it's a common experience to have to walk out of this whole cancer world and try to reintegrate. And mm -hmm. you have to find a way to balance what happened to you with where you want to be going forward. And if that's as a, an advocate for cancer people, you still have to find a balance for yourself, you know, mm -hmm. otherwise it's just going to swallow you because you're going to feel so tied to people's outcomes. And mm -hmm. it's just not something that you can, it's not a burden you can continue to shoulder for yourself and everyone else. And so I'm really happy for you. I'm glad you identified that it's intrusive thoughts. Um, and I can't wait to see how you're doing after a few months of being away from this super consuming experience. Mm -hmm. I, I would imagine too people that like, do you have metastatic cancer or like, are kind of lifers in this, but are doing well as people are doing well for longer in many cancers. Like I can see where this comes into play with like, I'm trying to just live my life and have other stuff coming through. That's not, not saying that everybody with cancer has intrusive thoughts about it nonstop. Like I, yeah. yes, I do. But like, I do think we all need to like have some sort of practice to give our brains the space sometimes you know like we've talked about meditation how bad we are at that but how that's so effective for so many people yeah. and like, um yeah know. anything that can just snap you out of that mindset I think is great yoga meditation going for a walk watching a show finding something to zone out on you know or just occupy your brain I find reading really helps me like getting mm -hmm. super absorbed in a book and for me you know it has to be kind of a very specific kind of story like I like spooky light you know like thrillers mm -hmm. but that have nice endings 
Um, she likes her thrillers tied up in a bow at the end. That's right. I do. But, you know, it's something that I can easily zone out on and and read you know, get through a lot of it quickly. That helps my brain. And it's so funny because like, if you had told me when I was first diagnosed that there was going to be a day when cancer wasn't the first thing I thought of when I woke Mm up, I would have laughed, you know, I would have thought you were insane, but you really do have to find a way to keep living. And um, yeah, like find, find other stuff to think about and find other stuff to do because um, that's the point, right? That's the point of surviving Mm -hmm. cancer. (laughs) Right. Yes. Fully. Well, anyway, I just wanted to share that, but that's what happened. (laughs) Um, pretty good massage though. So I'm jealous. I'm jealous (laughs) of your spot. I'm never going to do that. Just, I'm not, I swear. Posh bitch. It was the first day of my life. Anything nice ever happened to me and I couldn't even enjoy it. Um, anyway, how about some letters? Do we have letters? Yeah, baby. These are both hard hitters. I'll start with the short one. Dear Amy and Steph, I have a correction on a recent episode. Um, his name is pronounced Brett Favre. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Signed Amy. That's me. I wrote that letter. Because it is okay. If you are a new listener, or but a few episodes ago, that name came up of the football player. I said Brett Favre. Steph corrected me and told me his name was. Okay, so I I feel that I have to make myself clear here. Also, <laughs> I don't know how I did not know how to pronounce his name. I was it is spelled weird as all hell. Yeah. So I was, I was more putting into the world that I believed it should be pronounced Favre. One way. Favre. <laughs> Whatever. <sighs> but yes, um, you are right, Amy. I apologize for even for a second attempting a different pronunciation. You know how Favre. I am with my football team staff. You're wild. You're wild. For I'm football. wild about them. No, uh, no. Somebody did mention it to me. They laughed and they said, you know, you actually were right. And I was like, what? Um, but I, I couldn't let it go. Cause how often am I right? You know, <laughs> you're right. So often, Amy, but here, here you go. There's a little, little correction. Favre, Brett Favre. Um, all right. Next how one. Dare I beautify. <laughs> okay. Hi, Steph and Amy. I really enjoyed your last podcast. Love the humor, but not so much the commentary on religion. I think this is actually one we recorded a few podcasts ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's referencing when I was saying I felt peace thinking about uh, us living in a simulation and reading about the people that actually believe that's a possibility. And when I thought about it, I was like, if that were true, that gives me peace. But, and then you were like, uh, Amy, I think you're just touching on religion. That's what yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, and then you said Brett Favre's name wrong. Um, So science is awesome, but faith has an important role in the cycle of being also. Just my opinion and based on 73 years of experience in this lifetime. The reason I mention this is that your podcast is so amazing and it makes me sad to think that someone might turn it off because they have a strong faith life, faith life and feel attacked in some way. 
I think if you polled your readers, there might be a surprising number of faith-based believers who also respect the importance of scientific inquiry. I would agree mm-hmm. that we might have mm-hmm. some faith-based believers who listen and also not, too. I'd right. say. Um, Let's talk more about that. Is the letter over? The letter's not. She talks about a couple other things. I'll read the full letter and then we'll go back. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Anyway, on the science front, I wanted to share something I just ran across. I subscribe to several Parkinson's research publications and groups. There was a very interesting article on sleep benefit may be explained by direct neurochemical evidence. I felt that the writer of this article had really come up with some very important information that resonated with my own tremor dominant PD case and described a possible alternative treatment that didn't involve an increase in drug intake. I thought you might look into Marisa Wexler, MS. She holds a master's of science in uh, cellular and molecular pathology from the University of Pittsburgh, where she studied novel genetic drivers of ovarian cancer. Her areas of expertise include cancer biology, immunology, and genetics, and she has worked on a science, no, excuse me, she has worked as a science writer and communication intern for the Genetics Society of America. Perhaps she has written something interesting regarding cancer. Just a thought. I love you both and hope I haven't offended you in any way, Susan. (laughs) Susan, we love you. Um, you can offend me all day long. And she will. I'm just kidding. She <laughs> she and will. she has. And no, she no, has just... every day, Susan. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. No. Okay. So here's what I think about the religion thing. Um, a few bullet points, I guess. So um, number one, yes, I agree. Probably a lot of our listeners have some spiritual belief that involves the supernatural. Um, Number two, I love them and respect their faith, um, unless it's one of the nasty ones. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Number three, I am Jewish. um, And I have my own spiritual beliefs and, and practices. Uh, some of which actually kind of involve the supernatural, some of which do not um, and are strictly cultural. But in any case, uh, Judaism obviously involves a lot of uh, spirituality. So um, there's that. Also, it's a religion. So um, I'm not totally uh, religion avoidant. Um, and And here's the rub, I guess particularly Christianity has um, a pretty healthy presence in cancer spaces. And I think pushing back on that is okay. Um, I think skepticism is healthy. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, religious people are okay. You know, like uh, there's a hegemony uh, in the United States that is um, actively marginalizing a lot of people. And I think it's okay to name that and to present counterpoints. Um, And also, we can do that while still respecting people's beliefs, right? Yeah. 
And I think we do. I try to. I definitely. Um, I'm aware that we have some. Um, even Christian listeners, like, like modern Christian type, which surprises me. Ah, yeah, I'm offending now. <laughs> I'm no, I mean, but for real, like I, I do have some friends who are like evangelical Christians and mm-hmm. it's a, it's a very strange match. Um, we do kind of tend to avoid talking about, um, our, our spiritual practices or our beliefs, but I do actually, you know, draw a hard line and I, I, I have no problem saying this. If you're racist, if you're homophobic, if you're transphobic, I don't have time for you. So um, if that alienates any listeners, I'm sure they will find community elsewhere. Fully. Um, But yeah, but you can believe anything you want. It's a free country. It's a free country. (laughs) Sort of. Not really. But actually, you can't believe anything you want. (laughs) But I hate everything I just said. I'm sorry. It's fine. Um, We're fine. We're fine. Um, Who cares? On the subject of Marissa Wexler, I had actually heard of Marissa Wexler because of her work and writing about um, ovarian cancer and highly recommend. I'm going to link to some of her writing. Um, I think it's really interesting. And Susan, thank you so much for bringing her work to our attention and our listeners attention, because I think it's it's really accessible and um gynecological cancers don't get a ton of really smart coverage so i'm i'm happy to pass along some of her work to our listeners um whether they have gynecological cancers or not um i think it's it's totally worth a read and the parkinson's stuff is really interesting too um so yeah i'll throw up that link in the show notes marissa wexler ms um the stuff I'm going to link to is her work at ovariancancernewstoday.com, but you can also obviously Google her and find some stuff. That's great. Great. That's all I've got for letters. Do you have some ratsies? I do have some ratsies. Some little non-spiritual feet running <laughs> <laughs> to the lab. Some even some <gasps> even rats for little you. Little hellraisers. That's right. It's going to be a quickie, but it's about some new information that came out, I believe, out of the San San Antonio Breast Cancer Conference um, that's just kind of making its way to the news now. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically, the TLDR is that having a baby after hormone receptor positive breast cancer, even pausing your AI and your ovarian suppression to get pregnant is safe. Um, so for a long time, there the was reason not- I'm quiet is because I just put my headphones down and ran into the office where Kevin is to be like, Kevin, <laughs> let's have another baby. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
sad is that? This study was paid for by Amy Dials. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, but, you know, so, uh, you know, for a long time, I was saying there's there wasn't really definitive research on this. Mm-hmm. Um because like who's gonna sign up to be like let's see what happens um but there was a study on women who paused their post-cancer therapies to get pregnant and they had no increased risk of their cancer coming back so it was um three in four women in the study got pregnant 64 percent had a live birth um which is a little bit less you know obviously than um the stats for people who get pregnant and go on to have a live birth in the general population, but actually not as different as it would probably seem because I think, what did they say? One in three pregnancies ends in miscarriage. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of similar. It's a great study. Um, gives a lot of hope to people who have struggled with the choice to give it a try Mm -hmm. a lot of people we know who are in our community would really love to have a baby or have another baby and um I think this is great you know yeah I feel like the vibe has been like yeah it's safe it should be safe if you are on tamoxifen or an AI for two years I think is kind of the general amount of time that they recommend you stay on it, then you can get yeah. off and safely have a baby and breastfeed for even a little bit and then go back on and then it should be okay. But it's like to have an actual new study with more people to back that up because I think it wasn't as studied as a lot of our oncologists have wanted it to be. So I know my yeah. oncologist has been pretty um her warnings are very strong to the point where it kind of made it not seem like it was something I would be willing to risk. Although she was very much admitting that like she's basing this off of the fact that she doesn't think there's enough research that she sees what she sees every day in clinic. And she knows that that might be skewing her feelings a little bit. I'm sure if you have a few patients that, you know, did something and then ended up having like, a fast and heavy recurrence and you know left a small child like I'm sure that even though there's no science right like yeah shit can happen at any given turn well sure um, and they're an oncologist's job is to prevent cancer <laughs> you know or sure. treat treat cancer and so obviously that they're going to probably take the conservative approach but this trial it was called the positive trial. Um, it followed 518 women who were 42 or younger, and they stopped endocrine therapy for about two years. Um, it was for women with, or obviously early stage breast cancer up, up to stage three. And it was, it did not include anybody who had had lymph node spread. And so the minimum was that you had to have completed 18 months of endocrine therapy before stopping to get pregnant. Um, the recurrence rate was 8.9%. Um, that is, is very similar to the average recurrence rate. Isn't it slightly lower? Yeah, the average Which recurrence is sort rate of is, weird. is 9%. Yeah. Um, so I think that this is is a great addition to sort of the landscape of, 
of research and, and information if people are trying to decide if they want to attempt to get pregnant as a, an early stage breast cancer person. Um, I, I am hopeful that this gives people options they didn't know they had. Um, I did bring it up to my oncologist just to see what she thinks now that they have put this out, knowing how she was feeling before. Yeah. And, um, she was like, I think it's great info to have, but I still feel like it's early. Like, yeah. Yeah. If this, if 10 years had gone by, if 15 years had gone by, I would really feel more confident, but four years, it still feels a little early. So, um, yeah, absolutely. That's totally true. And, um, the study cited a three-year follow-up. So, um, obviously that's going to be longer and longer as time goes by and, We'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. Everybody's got to make their most informed choice. Um, I do wonder sometimes um, when these kind of studies come out, I think about like the other information involved that could be used for something else, like just taking a break from endocrine therapy in general after two years, like for the women that didn't go on to have a baby, let's say in that group who went Mm -hmm. back on it. Like to look at them, whatever that number is, and compare that to the people that stayed on their yeah. um, medication and to see five, 10 years from now, did that break, not do anything. And the only reason I wouldn't include the people that had the babies is who knows what your body is doing. Yeah. But it is interesting because I know that there are some studies to be like, what if people do take small breaks as they go? Would that keep people on? AIs longer than quitting and going on to tamoxifen because the shot sucks so bad or, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think that our oncologists are really great pieces of this puzzle too, because they've seen what's happened in their practice. And of course, a lot of that is anecdotal, but I just, you know, I trust my oncologist so much to kind of give it to me straight. Like just um, the other day I was talking to her about um, the amount of radiation exposure I was experiencing because I get scanned every three months and was like, well, you know, fingers crossed, I can make it to like 10 years. If I'm getting scanned every three months and I'm getting like a PET scan and a CT with contrast every three months, um, like, do I need to worry about that radiation exposure? And she was like, you know, it's totally up to you. Um, Obviously, contrast can give you like diarrhea and it wipes you out. And if you're having other symptoms or side effects that make it not worth your while, um, or, you know, if it's preventing you from doing something with your life that like <laughs> is mm-hmm. is some is a goal, like if I wanted to go travel or something for three months or whatever, um, she was like, you know, I'm totally happy to talk through that with you. The amount of radiation that you're getting is really equal to that of like flying across country um Mm -hmm. which was great to hear because I had imagined it was much more significant than that and she was like you know the people who really have to worry about it is people with like inflammatory bowel cancer who are getting scanned like every single day or um people who are getting scanned a lot when they're in adolescence right and so that was great you know and so that helped me make a more informed decision 
because I trusted her to tell me really what she thought. Because, of course, somebody could say, like, well, the, the cumulative radiation exposure is bad. Like, you have this yeah. X percent increased risk of developing this kind of cancer because of radiation exposure. But mm-hmm. she knows me and knew that I, I could hear it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that hopefully people will be able to kind of assess the risk with their oncologists and with their medical team and see if pausing the AI is, is going to work out for them. On um, the same note as you're talking about, um, like, radiation to, did you say something about ch- ch- children radiation? Yeah, or? like in adolescence and, oh. and stuff, yeah. Exactly. I was just reading about um, adolescent cancers and having radiation around your chest. And then years, years later, you grow up, that cancer is gone, and then you have an increased risk of breast cancer. Some, I mean, not not everybody, obviously, yeah. but that can happen. But that they have been doing a low-dose tamoxifen. Like, this is a newer study or a newer... Oh, wow. I don't know if it's, like, out in the world yet, but I was reading about it as, like just preventatively like yeah to combat that risk which is kind of cool and it's kind of interesting to think like god who knows what will be happening with metastatic breast cancer in 10 years yeah in 20 years and you know the hope is that you're here long enough that if radiation is an issue for other cancers for your health that maybe there will be other things in place to help prevent that like yeah. The tamoxifen of the future preventatively for whatever. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, who knows? Exactly. Just got to keep you alive long enough to sort it out, right? <laughs> Stay ahead of it, baby. <laughs> Damn straight. Um, well, we've done it again. We've done it again. I'm really excited about the um, rats you just did because I do know a lot of, you know, peers of a certain age who are too scared to have a baby that wanted to have a baby and yeah um it really does add to that burden of like your life getting interrupted in a way that um is really unfair and so I think that's cool if it can be safe for people and I am kidding about running in and telling Kevin I don't think we're gonna have another baby so don't start rumors but no, if we change right. our minds, I'll let you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it is good info to have, though, because you make decisions like. Like to get Zometa or something, you shouldn't do that if you want to have a child. Here's to science. Here's to Susan. Here's to <laughs> the meeting Brett in the Favre. middle of, <laughs> of the of the. French pronunciation and the English pronunciation of words. Indeed. All right. Well, shorty but a goodie. Let's just get it out there. I agree. Okay. Well, write us a letter, cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com. Catch you guys. Our Instagram is still hacked. Who cares? Yeah, no. Who cares? Instagram will die by the time we get our account back. I hope so. See you in hell. See you in hell, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Cancer for Breakfast.
Breakfast is hosted by Amy Diles and Stephanie Lejeunesse and produced by Nathan McGeehy. Our theme music is written and performed by Vivivir. Find us at cancerforbreakfast.com, Instagram at cancerforbreakfast, and email at cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.